This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Playoffs. Hello and welcome to NL Playoffs. This is round 18. My name is Gautam. I have with me my co-host Aniket. Aniket, say hi. Hello world. We are back again. We have a lot of sporting action going on. We have uh, cricket. We have the IPL obviously that's... I don't know if I made that sound correctly or not but there's that. Uh, the Women's World Cup just concluded. Footballing action is uh, underway. The Champions League is going on. The Premier League is back after the international break. The La Liga is going on. So lots of stuff going on in the world of football. Of course, there's the whole Formula One season that has recently started. We are two races down with another race to come up. We are recording this, by the way, on the 9th of April. India time, it's about 9.15 in the morning. So uh, we have a race coming up tomorrow on Sunday. Uh, a lot of, uh, like a big Premier League a uh, match happening tomorrow between Liverpool and Man City so there is a lot to look forward to Aniket absolutely and unfortunately we won't be talking about it today but nevertheless we'll be excited about it 100% so uh, we'll start with uh, the IPL because that is what uh, been going on primarily every day so uh, let's start with the IPL Before we actually talk about any of the teams or the standings, Anikar, I just wanted to open up with a question I was looking at uh, on Twitter and somebody uh, started it. And one of my favorite cricket, uh, Twitter followers is uh, Sidvi. At Sidvi, if you want to follow him, he has a great podcast called 81 All Up. So he was involved in a discussion about how every ball has, every ball or every event in a sport has to be looked at it equally, especially in cricket. So for example, this last night, Rahul Tevatia, right? He was, uh, he was playing against uh, the Punjab Kings. Uh, Gujarat Titans is what he plays for. Yeah. Uh, they needed 12 runs of the last two balls and he hit two sixes. And, two sixes, uh, yeah. So, he won in dramatic style. It was great. It was unbelievable to watch. Um, there was somebody on Twitter who illustrated the point that, look, had he hit those two sixes in the 18th over, he wouldn't have been this hyped up. So, he was of the opinion that these two events, if you look at them independently, they are the exact same thing. Do you agree with that? Or do you think it's just overhyped because those two events just happened on the last two balls of the game and they won it dramatically? Or do you think there is some element of or some element of high pressure? It depends on the context and all of that stuff. I mean, do I treat a sixer in the 18th over and uh, the 19th over 15, uh, fifth ball equally? Yes, they're six runs. But the context does bring in a lot of uh, the element. And I think that's what sport is about. It's about those far and few moments that are in between and at the end of a game. So, I don't know if I could rate them equally, but I definitely say that it makes it more exciting. But most of the statisticians and analytics people will tell you that it's one ball and it's six runs, right? So Absolutely, more- that's what I said. The sixer in the 18th over is the same as the sixer in the 19th over and fifth ball or the last ball. The value is yeah. the same. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But it's the larger context that it's comes into uh, that comes into play that actually uh, i think gives a deeper meaning and and also the pressure of uh, the last two balls um, and needing 12 runs is different from let's say needing 36 runs of 24 balls with four overs to go right so there is that the stakes are different the pressure is different i'm assuming as a player too i'm sure 
pitch feel a different level of added stress and pressure if it's the last two balls of the innings versus somewhere in the middle of the innings, I would hope, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think there is no two doubts about the kind of pressure that develops, like having six overs and a large total, like about, I don't know, 100 runs and uh, 12 runs in two balls or one ball. I mean, one ball is not possible, but two balls. Yeah. I think they're two different uh, and the two different levels of pressure. And and the same applies, I can, if you flip it to other games, so if we, if we talk about penalties uh, in, in football, taking the first penalty is probably different from taking a penalty in sudden death or taking a free throw in like the first quarter of a game or just taking a couple of free throws in the game. Sure, that's a, a different level of pressure. So I think there, I think there is uh, something to be said about the feeling, I guess, for lack of a better word, as to how a player feels at that current moment versus how a player feels when, I guess, it's just starting off and it's there's not a lot of uh, pressure involved, right? Yeah, 100%. Because if you, I mean, anyone who follows football tactics, for their example, knows that the first and the fifth penalty are considered to be the most important. So typically you have your best players set up to take the first and last. And in between, you can you know, go ahead and spread out your next, I would say, three best penalty takers, right? Yeah. And I, I still remember, I don't know which game was this. I mean, this was Portugal versus some team, but uh, Cristiano Ronaldo had once in the penalty called uh, this defender back when he went to take the shot. Ronaldo went in his place, uh, went, took the penalty, scored. But the defender uh, who, who was called back in the next one actually went and hit the crossbar and missed the penalty. Yeah. So this was an event. And basically that, that tells you like the stakes of the game, right? You know, you, you, you walk halfway and you're called back by your captain. So it does put in additional amount of uh, pressure on you. So yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would say that there is pressure associated with these particular spots as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. But having said that, we should talk about the IPL and we were briefly talking about uh, the Gujarat Titans, right? And they've been, that they're the newest tradition. They, they are uh, the two, one of the two teams that have started in the IPL along with uh, LSG, the Lucknow Super Giants. I just hate that name. I don't know why they're calling them Super Giants, but I guess they had to get the SG in because of the, of the teams and so on. So that's fine. But just a very, yeah, but very unimpressive the, name. The GTs look, Pretty damn good, I must say. Uh, at least in the first two games. Uh, first three games. They won three out of three. Three, okay. So, that makes it three. Okay, so first three games. Okay, so SRH just played only two games. I, my my favorite team, we're at the bottom. Absolute bottom. <laughs> so, uh, I mistake everyone for playing two games, but yes. Dude, I've been I've been reading the local newspapers. They're just ripping the Sunrisers apart, man. It's just been brutal. I know they're a little impatient because they haven't won much in the last couple of years, but it's been brutal looking at uh, some of the local newspapers just taking sunrises down. Well, Brad just, just played two two games and they have a lot of games left to go, but they're pretty unimpressive in the first two games. Uh, their squad is, oh, for some reason, they let Rashid Khan go. I thought they would for sure retain him, but they instead chose to retain Kane Williamson for his captaincy, I guess. And uh, now he's now Rashid Khan is a Gujarat great player. So, great T20 player. So, it's just been... Uh, lights out against uh, lights out with because of that Titan. So that's a missed opportunity on part of the Sunrisers, Anikhil. Absolutely, and a lot of things have to change at the Sunrisers end. I think we should first start with the change in the uniform, then the name, <laughs> yes. then the name, and then we go after the players. Because I really love Deccan Chargers. I love that. I love that name, uh, Deccan Chargers. I thought it was a great team as well. We won the second IPL. But yeah, no, a lot of things have to change. It was surprising. I thought we have a pretty good bowling attack when you look at it. But 
the batting doesn't work out and things just don't work out. So it, it's, it's just weird. I mean, I don't know what more to say. Yeah. Were you were you a fan of the Deccan Chronicle, by the way? Did you follow the Deccan Chronicle when you were in Hyderabad? I used to get it at home. I used to read it. I wouldn't say I was a fan. Like I used to, I read it like a matter of fact. Uh, this thing, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself a fan of Deccan Chronicle. But the Chargers, yes. And Adam Gilchrist yeah. was a big fan. I that still cool am. kits too. That the blue kits are pretty good. I like those blue Puma kits. Exactly. Those are pretty nice. But of course, yeah, Adam Gilchrist takes the cake. Um. So uh, the Gujarat Titans we were talking about the new team on the block. They've been really good. I think they have a they have a really good squad too. They have KL Rahul leading the side who's been in excellent form. And as I said, there is this is Rashid Khan was on Gujarat Titans. My bad. It is Ravi Vishnu. I'm confused. Is it Hardik Pandey or KL Rahul? Like Hardik Pandey is Lucknow. No, sorry, KL oh, Rahul. Sorry, is KL Rahul is Lucknow. My bad. Yeah. Let me yeah. let me rephrase that. Blah blah blah. Uh, the the the. I was, I was uh, confused with the Lucknow Super Jets and the Gujarat Titans. My bad, guys. Okay. So, if we look at the the the, the Titans, right? Uh, they really have a really good squad. Now, if you... I'm just going through the squad from the top to bottom. Uh, Hardik Pandya, he's been really good. He's back to his good, good fitness. He's now bowling about 140 clicks an hour. He's batting well. This is a great sign, not just for Gujarat, but great sign for India because... All-rounders like those are very hard to come by. So, that is awesome. There is Shubman Gill who is on form. He scored 96 last night. I love watching him bat now, right from uh, the India store of uh, Australia when he played those test matches. It was just great. So, really good squad. A really good batting lineup. Good good depth. Mohamed Shami is in there. Lockie Ferguson who I absolutely love. who is an excellent, excellent bowler. The Rashid Khan obviously is just He's just an automatic. He just gets walks in when he twenty twenty-five, right? So really good squad. What did you make of them so far? Absolutely. And it was fun watching Shami root out some stumps yesterday. It was a long time I saw stumps like literally come out of the ground. It's been a while. Yeah. So yeah, I'm it's just been, shocked. It's been a, yeah, it's been a good good IPL for the fast bowlers too. Hey, Shadav has nine wickets in the IPL so far, and again he has the purple cap. So I we are still in the early stages of this tournament, but May Shadav has been Excellent. I was actually super excited. I mean, I'm deviating from the Gujarat Titans, but to see Bhuneshwar Kumar bowl yeah. uh, for Sunrisers, I thought it was pretty good. It was good to see him moving the ball and stuff. Uh, he still needs to get into his element, but yeah. it was uh, promising nevertheless. Nataraj also is uh, play, playing for the Sunrisers, who's been really good too. He's a really great bowler. But right. as you said, they need to get their batting in order. They have, they have all these young guns, uh, but I don't know. We'll, there are lots out there, as I said. That are just taking, ripping apart the uh, the sunrise from Hyderabad. Um, you know, sorry for interjecting, Gautam, but uh, and you know this that uh, I was never a big fan of the IPL, but I f- still feel so proud that it has done so much for Indian cricket. Right there, are, there is just so much depth, just so much players who have, players who have come through, who otherwise would have just I think uh, fallen aside. But uh, yeah, I think that's one of the very good positive things that actually. Come out of IPL. I think that's what competition does. That's what we should do in general in sport, like support the footballing uh, infrastructure we have. Uh, there's Kabaddi also coming up, which is pretty interesting. There's a badminton league. So, a volleyball. Yeah, more part to all these leagues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds like you're slowly coming around to the IPL, Anikit. Maybe slowly. Uh, we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> uh, the, the Kolkata Knight Riders are on the top right now. They've played an extra game compared to the second place Gujarat Titans. They did lose one game, but Kolkata is looking uh, like a really good side. Uh, they have the likes of Sunil Narayan has just been awesome. But 
I want to talk about my favorite team, the Rajasthan Royals. They're now standing in the fourth place, but they've just played three games so far. One, two, lost one. But they seem to have a really balanced squad. Now they're being led by Sanju Samson. I'm sure he's getting a lot of help from the coaching staff. There are some decent uh, senior players within the side too, like Ashwin. Uh, but really good squad. The batting has been really good. Josh Butter and Sanju Samson on the top of the order have been in really great nick. Josh Butter has been... I think he's probably he probably has the orange cap. It might be Gil now, but I think he had the orange cap for some time. Uh, Sanju Samson has been in great form. And just like Shubman Gil, when Sanju Samson is on form, man, he's a treat to watch. But really balanced squad. Shimron Hetmeyer, the big hitting West Indian, is in the middle order. He's been good. He's coming up big. And they have uh, really good uh, depth when it comes to bowling as well. There's Ashwin, who's been excellent, excellent, excellent. With Yuzhwendu Chahal, Chahal has been really good. And Trent Bolt is a really good uh, T20 bowler. Uh, Mumbai had him before, now he's in Rajasthan. Really good depth. And the guy I really like is the fast bowler, Prasid Krishna, who's been tall. I was just going to take his name and ask your opinions on that. So. Oh yeah, he's so good. He's, he's pacey, he has the bounds. I think he has a bit of a nasty, nasty side to him, which is which I really like for a fast bowler. So yeah, overall, excellent, excellent uh, team with batting that I have really, really high hopes for them this season. Yeah, no, I mean I have nothing more to add apart from that. I saw Yuzi Chahal back in his element. It was nice to see him bowl, and obviously Ashwin was back. So it was good. It was good. I I watched the highlights of this particular game, and it was really nice. Oh, by the way, did you did you? Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to look at this or not. Did you see you talk about how he got bullied by this Mumbai Indian teammate all those years ago when he was playing with Mumbai? So the story goes well. The, the story that he said, and I'm sure, I'm assuming it's definitely true, is that apparently they were they were having some kind of a an after game party or something like that, and this guy, his teammate from Mumbai Indians, was so drunk that. He picked Yuzhen Chahal up and hung him out of the balcony of his hotel room. He was on the 15th floor. So he was what? apparently, yeah, apparently he was hanging on for his dear life. Then the other teammates had to step in and then just got him outside. I think he was, the play was so drunk that he was having fun, so to speak, quote unquote. Oh, wow. But this is something that he said a couple of days ago and everybody is like up in arms about it. I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have been an Indian player. So, how what makes you say that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, but I'm guessing you wouldn't do that to your teammate. Like, if you're playing, especially because if you're a junior, you won't do it to your senior because usually, usually, he's typically a senior. And I don't know. Yeah. Well, look, we, we've all been through college, we've all been through school. That's we, true. We've all, we've all yeah. had those drunk, drunk friends or who would get so drunk out of their mind that they lose every consciousness, they they lose control of their body and they don't know what they're doing. Doesn't matter. I don't think which country you belong to matters at this point. Once you're drunk, you're drunk. Oh well, yeah. I, I would not I would not have much to add to that. <laughs> but yeah, this startling revelation from uh, Chahal. I was like, I was it's surprising that it's not been investigated, though. It is a, it is a discipline. I mean, they, I don't know. In my head, it demands a discipline reaction, right? Like if someone has come out and said something like this, irrespective of what it is, the organization yeah. should in and uh, do some form of an inquiry to know what happened. Yeah, this is the first time he made it public. So, yeah, I don't know if anybody's going through anything. This was apparently a lot of years ago, but sure, it warrants an investigation, 100%. But I was really surprised by uh, that actually happened and nothing came out of it, even back in the day. I mean, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have even known. So, 
I, I looked at this a couple of days ago. I was like, what? Did this actually happen? I thought, okay, this was in fun. But then he said it was from the 15th floor of his balcony of the hotel. So I was like, okay, that's not good. I've not seen this, but was Yuzi Chell sounding chill or like? He, he, was, he was sounding chill when he spoke about it okay. a couple of days ago. But apparently when he, when he came out of the situation, he was trying to, he was probably not in the right state of mind, obviously, because he was apparently hanging on to the guy who was, who was, hanging him outside for dear life and once the teammates came in and got him out he was gasping and he was holy shit that is yeah, so he was not well it was not fun for Rachel I'll tell you that all right let's talk about the women's world cup go ahead so what did you think so uh England uh came second uh I think Australia yeah. won it pretty convincing right. I would say I don't know I wanted your thoughts on this because again, I didn't you know, watch. The, I mean, just being transparent, I didn't watch the games live, but I saw the highlights of the games. Yeah. So I wanted uh, your thoughts. Yeah, same here too. Uh, the timings have been so bad to watch these live, but you know what? This uh, World Cup reminded me of Anikhil. It reminded me of the 2003 Men's World Cup uh, between India and Australia when Australia scored big in the first in the first innings, and then India had I'm to kind of scrap that World Cup. Yeah. 170 or 138 balls, and then once Australia made 356 for five, it was pretty much uh, Australia in the driving seat. Um, Nat Silver for England in the second innings did make 148 or 121, fought heroically, but in the end, they're always going to fall short because that run rate it was always going to be an impossible task for them. So, I ended up skittling out for 285. A convincing for Australia, Nikit. Absolutely, and uh, that's what I said. So, one thing I so again, I did not follow this tournament in and out, but I did see a lot of the highlight games. And uh, England's uh, performance at the end just turned out to be in some form of shocker, I would say. Because I think their bowling just had no answer for uh, what was happening. And it seemed like, like you said, maybe 2003 <laughs> India versus Australia. Because, uh, yeah, I can't put it in better words. But yeah, it just seemed like they were out of answers and Australia was just cruising, cruising, cruising. Oh yeah, 100%. 100%. They, they, they always had, they were the favourites coming into the uh, the tournament. Uh, India is finished just outside, just failed to make the semi-finals. They had a tough outing this time around. This is probably going to be Mithari Rajas and Julian Goswami's final matches in the World Cup. I think they're probably going to announce the retirement soon, but they've, they've, been tremendous, tremendous icons and athletes to women's game. So remember, they were, if you think about it, there's a lot of good coverage of the women's game right now. But back in the day, all you heard was about Mithali Raj in the newspapers and about Julian Goswami in the newspapers. Absolutely. And uh, I did want to talk about, this is one of the talking points, to talk about the Indian men's team, right? Because even though they did not, uh, I mean, I think they, they finally came, they stood at around fifth, I think. Yeah. Uh, in the position they played. But I did want to give a shout out to the Indian women's team, especially the fielding. I thought it was super, as a whole, overall, the women's uh, cricket fielding, I thought it was pretty spectacular. I saw some great catches going on, especially as always, Smriti Mandana was there playing in innings almost in every game. So I I can't pick a game now and say, oh, she actually did bad. So it was pretty nice to see even the uh, openers uh, do well. So yeah, I mean, it was good, more part of the sport. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, hopefully, as this moves forward, I think we have, there is going to be a reset with uh, Mithali and Julian uh, probably uh, being announced in the retirement. So, it will be somewhat a start of a new era, but we'll have to see if uh, all these young, the, the young, uh, all these young players in the women's era are just great. So, 
uh, given an opportunity, I think they will just do really good. So let's see what happens. Uh, but yeah. something just, that we have to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just remind me, was it the game against South Africa that like yes, went that was really the close? Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was sad. And that was yeah, that was really close. Yeah, that that was the that was the really big game that against South Africa that they had. But you know that was a heartbreaker. But the last of the final ball. But things happen. But you know, still as I said, not the greatest of outings this time around in the World Cup for India. But as I said, still have a really really strong base to build on. The the players, the all these young players are really good. So let's see, hoping for their best. Yeah, and they are. So I mean, the cricket team is in safe hands. So that's good. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Okay. I think we should move on to the world of football, Aniket. What's that? Oh, yes. So, let's talk about uh, the Champions League rounds that have just wrapped up. So, I want to talk about, and this is obviously put up by you, but I want to steal your thunder and talk about it first, about this gentleman called Karim Benzema. Yes. Who just single-handedly demolished Chelsea uh, Football Club with his hat-trick and he happens to be uh, after Ronaldo, I think, uh, to score two consecutive hat-tricks and he's also registered, beaten his own record to be the oldest player in Premier League to score a hat-trick. So, he broke his own record. He's 34 now and he's like fine wine. He's just getting better and better. I think it's one of those uh, seasons uh, and I hope it continues because uh, it, 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 he's definitely a brilliant player. It's not like he's just peaking this one season. He's, he's always been a good player. But this season, something's just going on with him. He's crazy. He's on another level. Yeah, not just his finishing, but his passing, his runs, setting up goals. It's been awesome to look at it. Now, I was looking at some of uh, basics, basic stats about Karim Benzema. Um, he's gone under the radar mostly because of, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo in, in his side. His, Cristiano Ronaldo has been so much better than him, obviously. That's why he's always gone under the radar. But both Benzema and uh, Ronaldo came into Real Madrid in the same year in 2009 and 10 season, right? So, I was looking at his goal tally for every season in the La Liga. And, and here is his goal tally, Anik, beginning from 2009-10. So, nine goals in 2009. And then the next years, he's went from 26, 32, 20, 24, 22, 28, 19, 12. Okay, 12 was a bit of a linear for him. 2018, 19, right? 30, 27, 30. And this, this year, it's 37 so far, 2021, 22. So, he's just been a goal-scoring machine, so to speak. Not as much as Ronaldo, but he's still been really, really, really consistent for him. He play, he's the perfect second foil when Ronaldo was there. And now he's picked up the baton and he's been just charging away at it. Just how he's been playing, the form he's in, the finishes, the two headers. Great, great headers in the Chelsea game. Uh, one was gifted to him. You, don't, you just don't give those gifts if you are uh, Chelsea. You just go, don't give anybody an open net. So, that was a gift, but then he also missed a really good opportunity to score. So, the hat-trick was justified, I thought, but just he's been in scintillating form. Absolutely. And let's recall the game prior to this, right? So, it was PSG they played. Yeah. And he absolutely, he was also on fire with the PSG. So, yeah. And I would say that Ronaldo's presence, I, uh, I would say maybe Ronaldo overshadowed him yeah and now when you look and when you look at the stats you think it's rather unfair just because he's averaging roughly 23 24 goals a season so Messi and Ronaldo have biased this thing where they make these 23 goals look very ordinary by doing this 35 <laughs> 40 every year but if you think about it it's it's a pretty spectacular record to have like if you're averaging 22 goals a season 
uh, it's pretty good and in all honesty he single handedly pulling real madrid along in at least this particular season it, they don't seem to be as promising uh, if it was not for karim benzema and uh, i heard this online i don't know who said it but if carlo ancelotti right now had to personally go and massage uh, ben, uh, benzema he would do it because <laughs> uh, it, it is that important that uh, benzema is to real madrid they seem to lack any sort of threat without him right now uh, spearing the attack oh yeah they don't have uh, there is vinicius junior but come on benzema has been their machine so far yeah and he's always in there going to win the la liga they are 9 points clear ahead of the second place sevilla with a game in hand so they've just been lights out the, because of think, benzema yeah go ahead let me check but i think barcelona have come second so uh, no they're in third right now with 29 games played 57 points they do have a couple of games in hand on hand so that's fine Sevilla has 31 points. Sorry, 31 games played with 60 points, and Barcelona oh, yeah. has 57 with 20. Okay, we are, we are, yeah, so we are three points behind, but two points in hand. That's correct. So and red, red hot palm, five wins yeah. in a row. There is hope. I mean, uh, let's not read too much into that <laughs> because this case, this thing can go down any time. But no, I'm very excited about what's happening with Barcelona. That that's definitely something we can talk about. But let's get back to Champions League because uh, this was there, and then there was so the one that was Real Madrid. which uh now they seem to be and thomas tuchel's uh, press conference i don't know if you heard afterwards yeah. but he pretty much came out saying there was no hope yeah and yeah we should we should play his clip is this a life no but this performance no because first of all we need to play southampton and if we don't get our heads and legs straight and and our mentality right we will not we will not win in, in southampton and we will we will it's and uh, and then this tie is not a life if things change maybe but uh, how many how many clubs in in worldwide football won with with uh, what what we need three goals difference it's it's uh, yeah it's alarming because it's like in in two in two in two games seven goals um but nothing has has changed i think he said it was we have, we have southampton coming up and then we have to play the champions league and it's going to be near impossible or something like that but yeah he gave gave a hope which was interesting to hear from him I mean, I wouldn't say it was uh, interesting because given the form currently Chelsea are in, which when Brentford who beat them four one, yeah, very surprisingly, yeah. Uh, Brentford beat them four one. It seemed as a one off bad day for Chelsea, but then this Real Madrid performance kind of uh, capped it up. Like you, you realize, like okay, these guys are really not playing that good football. And keeping that in mind, I think he was right to say, but I, I think he said a reaction of his players. It's one of those things you say. to you know really charge your players up he must have said what he had to say in dressing room and this is like the last roll of the dice you have yeah you know you all these coaches i tell you play these mind games outside yeah, yeah. so this does seem like you know one of those things and we'll find out because uh, it's not impossible for chelsea to, to go to bernabeu especially there's no away goal rules now anymore yes. so yeah. you can go score two goals in bernabeu and uh, you know sneak a victory so it's possible it's not over I think, uh, and I Tuchel knows that, so uh, he's just uh, tried to get the best out of his players. Let's see how it goes. That's what makes this hat-trick even more special. That uh, Benzema did it in at Stamford Bridge and not at Bernabeu, right? So Man City played Atletico. Uh, they squeezed out a one-nil win. In did you watch that game? I did. We watched that game. It was. Uh, but I. It was. I slept. Through, I slept through during that game, so I can't claim to have watched that game. It was absolutely boring. 
uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm coming up with really strong opinions here, but I think it was, I don't know, man. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne's comment at the end summed it up. He says, I've never seen anyone play a formation of 5-5-0 before in my life. Yeah. And it was like that Atletico Madrid. They had no shots on target throughout the game. I mean, it was surprising. No. I have never seen in, in I mean, again, I don't have a spectacular footballing career or anything or a stat- as a statistician, but I've never seen expected goals to be zero by any team before. Uh, it just never registered. This is the first time in my life I'm seeing Atletico Madrid's expected goals in a game is zero. So Yeah, I'm never surprised by Atletico Madrid being defensive, being ultra-defensive. I'm never surprised. If they put like six and four formation, I'm, I'm not surprised. Because that's that's their identity. That's how they do it. That's how Simeone does it. I was not surprised that they would go defensive immediately because they were playing in Manchester. All they were worried about is not to concede a goal. Just stay there, stay there, stay there. Try to not concede a goal. Now, they did end up conceding a goal to De Bruyne. But I think if you if you told them that you're going to come away from Manchester with a 1-0 loss, they would probably be okay with it. Ideally, they would have preferred nil-nil, but... 1-0, they'll probably take it. So, now when they go to uh, Madrid, they'll hope to get one weird goal out of Ja, Felix, or Griezmann. And that's pretty much it. They'll love, they'll love to go to penalties. Yeah, I mean, I have... So, again, uh, I have nothing against, you know, uh, playing defensive football. Yeah. Uh, Jose Mourinho has done it and shown that it works. You know, he's won freaking Champions League. Like that. He's well, not as late, but yes, you're right. Yes, back the day when uh, he was... Still <laughs> crazy and able to get the best out of his players, yes. Yeah. Again, it's just very surprising that... Uh, I mean, I always believed uh, that the plan of just not conceding was never a good plan. Because almost some way, some... it's it The odds are so low that you'll have a clean game without any the form of a mistake. Yeah. But then anyways, we'll see what happens. Because I'm not surprised. I think Atletico Madrid honestly would be very happy to take a 1-0. I think they did that with United as well. Yes. So they will take it home, and I, w- I won't be surprised if they can squeeze one, uh, squeeze a win out uh, back at home. So yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens. Well, yeah, but there's a difference between playing Manchester United and Manchester City today. So <laughs> there's, it is Manchester City is at a whole another level when you when you compare them with uh, Man United. So we'll see what happens with Atletico. The interesting thing that I've that I'm constantly I guess I should be I should say I'm surprised by is that Phil Foden always comes off the bench for City. Now Guardiola loves playing the inverted winger, in, which means that if you, if you're if you're a guy playing on the right wing, prefer that he's a left-footed guy, and if you're a guy playing on the other side, you prefer that could be a right-footed guy. So Mares is on the right wing, he's left-footed, and on the left wing there's Sterling, who's right-footed. So because he loves people to cut back in and then take a shot. Guardiola, he loves playing the inverted winger. But if it was me, I would happily replace Sterling in the starting lineup with Phil Foden because Phil Foden, whenever he comes on, man, makes things happen. He's such a great player to watch and he makes things happen. He he creates some kind of chances wherever he is. I think I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, just to add to that, I also think that Sterling lets a lot of chances go. So as a player, he I mean he's good, he's fast, uh, he can uh, yeah. you know skip uh, skip players. He's pretty good at that. But I th- I wouldn't say he's one of the coldest finishers. You know he he can definitely improve his finishing. But I I think and I can only guess. I think getting Foden on later was a tactical thing, just so that when uh, the legs are tired out, you want someone like him to come in and you know create something. 
and Guardiola does this. Sometimes he overdoes it, as it's uh, famously discussed in Champions League. He really tries to you know, overthinks it, overthinks it, or whatever you might call like flip everything on its head. I still remember he made Philip Lampard to midfielder in Bayern Munich. So he does all these kind of crazy things. And uh, well, I mean, I I don't know if it's one of them. If it works out, it's a tactical masterclass, right? Everyone's like, oh wow. Check this, what a brilliant tactical move it was. But if it does not work out three times in a row, then you start saying, oh, this dude's overthinking it. So, it's a fine line. We'll only find out how it ends. Yeah, yeah. But given the track record, I hope he doesn't overthink it too much. Keeps it simple. Sometimes works best, keeping it simple. I know. He has a great team. He has a wonderful bunch of players who swear by him. Good thing players swear by him. Because if I was full Foden, I would have been... Um, I would have been trying to push myself into the starting lineup or trying to get out of City because he's not been getting enough starts. Even in the Premier League, he doesn't get a lot of starts. So, it's, it's, if you're Phil Foden, you know, he's, you're a young guy who's, who has the world in front of him. So, I, I would love to see him play more instead of coming off the bench, but that's just me. Uh, Liverpool uh, played Benfica 3-1 in the first leg, so they seem to be cruising along okay. The other surprising result, though, Anikade was Villarreal was playing Bayern Munich and they are 1-0 up just like that, Bayern had a bunch of chances, but Villarreal was the team who made uh, the most of what they had. Absolutely. And if I'm not wrong, two of their goals were disallowed as well. So, I think Villarreal actually played pretty well. Uh, and it was surprising to see Bayern not play well, let me put it that way. Because uh, Villarreal was pretty good and uh, yeah, I enjoyed that game actually. I was, I was happy. Uh, I yeah. was happy with the game. <laughs> so, yeah. Of course, we always, everybody likes an underdog story, but... Lewandowski, Nabri, Muller, Kingsley, Coman, everybody was there. Sane came on, just couldn't find the back of the net. I think, I don't know if the Bayern Munich also had a good goal disallowed, maybe. I think they were caught offsides and so on. So, But yeah, but again, I'm not holding my breath. I think Bayern still should win this with 1-0 down going back to the Alliance Arena in Munich. So, I'm not too worried about Bayern, Bayern being knocked out. But it sets up for a really good uh, second leg, uh, at least as far as Man City Atletico goal that should be a good game or an Atletico because Atletico will try to be a little more aggressive because they're down and then Bayern should be going all gun blazing at Munich. So I still think Bayern and probably Liverpool is the favorite at this stage because they have an easier path to the final, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think this is a good time to register my disapproval of getting away of the away goals. Yes. It's really disappointing to see that like at this point, for example, if there was away goals, I think Chelsea would have been out. Like, there was just no way, I mean, to go into Bernabeu and scoring three goals. It's a very difficult task. You never say never in sport. But now that that goal, that rule is not there, it's still tough to score two goals, but you still believe it's possible. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and it is uh, it is sad uh, that this rule has uh, come up, but uh, it is what it is. Kind of, kind of takes us back to our... Uh... Initial discussion, right? So, people who did not like the away goals rule said that a goal is a goal is a goal, right? But now, as, as I always keep saying, scoring in a Champions League uh, knockout stage at Anfield is much different from scoring anywhere else in the world. Because Anfield is this amazing atmosphere with an amazing home crowd. It's just loud and thunderous and booming. So, I don't, perceptions do matter, the feel, what a player feels, what a player goes through in terms of stress and pressure and high stakes do matter. So, yeah, 
I'm I'm in this with you, Aniket. I'm, we are going to go down on this ship, no matter what. Yeah, and we're going to drown in this ship in the vehicle, so we'll drive with the vehicle too. And I was actually reading about it uh, again, Gautam. And so the the reasons are weird. They say that the technology there is VAR rules right now, uh, less chances for referees to make mistakes. The pitches are equal quality. Previously, it used to be a thing because some pitches were really. Uh, poor quality, whereas you had like proper, really good turfs in some pitch. So there was a lot of this. But I think discounting the fans is a major mistake because uh, it has been proven scientifically. Yeah. And I keep going about this point again and again and again. But it they do have an impact. And like you said, there's no other example. I still remember Barca coming to Anfield and just getting shell-shocked. If you can imagine a team that plays in Camp Nou, uh, which is the one of the largest stadiums in the world, if they come to Anfield and they're just stumped, you can imagine the influence uh, spectators have in a sport. So it's a very interesting topic. We should probably find some way to get an expert to talk about this somehow. I'm very curious to learn more. Yeah, yeah. But I think I'm willing to be flexible, but I don't think I'll change my opinion on this one. I think it always goes to, I loved it too. It just had an extra layer of exactly. complexity, how you play and all of that sort it is just an extra variable that I really love. Absolutely. So, with this, let's quickly, briefly touch upon, we have nothing much to talk about, but uh, two teams that are in the Champions League are actually going to be facing off for the Premier League. So, there is uh, Liverpool and Man City. I think there's one point difference between both of them. Yes. And they're going to be facing off as the Etihad Stadium. So, it'll be an interesting game. Obviously, I'm making no predictions and I don't think uh, I will let you talk for yourself, but uh, it's going to be a game nevertheless because... Uh, uh, you have Pep Guardiola, the overthinker, and uh, Jurgen Klopp, who's a fantastic manager again, uh, who will probably have the standard template that he'll run and uh, make it simple, like you said, keep it simple. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Uh, my guess is again, this will be outdated. So my guess is it'll probably end in a draw, and it'll continue to be uh, in the title race. Will continue to be close until we get to the third game. So we'll see what happens once the dust settles over this game. So. Yeah, let's not talk too much about this, but let's talk about a little bit about Manchester uh, United and their ongoing uh, quest to be a really good manager, or so they think they do. But now it looks like it's now we have something on the table with Eric Ten Hag more or less being confirmed as the next Man United manager. So, as an in-house United fan, what are your thoughts? So, I haven't thought a lot about this because I've pretty much given up on the season. There's nothing to look forward to this season out of the Champions League, out of the Premier League contention. I don't know if United can even make, well, I shouldn't say can even make, they can make top four. But uh, right now, I don't know if I that seems that, attainable. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think right now top four, <laughs> the fourth spot is I think the most contested spot after the uh, first. I think you have Chelsea, you have Arsenal, you have Tottenham and obviously United. Well, Chelsea is more or less clear because Chelsea has is, is third sitting third right now with five points ahead with the game in hand. But Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, Man United, and uh, well, Wolves probably not so much. But all these four teams, West Ham, United, Arsenal, and Tottenham have fourth place up up for grabs. So yeah, I'm not holding my um, my breath about if they're going to make the top four or not because right now players are woefully out of form. They don't seem to have any kind of identity. They they neither press, they neither defend, they don't get back in transition. They're dependent on. Uh, big match scorers, they're depending on Ronaldo to score or Bruno Fernandes to make things happen. Players like Rashford are woefully, woefully out of form. So, it's it's just scratched me as far as the season goes. But if United end up getting Eric Ten Hag, man, that'd be really cool because 
I really loved what he did with Ajax. So coming into United, it, it has different set of expectations. It's a bigger club, the whole commercial aspect, keeping the bottom line and all of that good stuff, right? So we'll see what happens. Um, I'm not, as I said, holding my breath this season yet, Anikit. So if we, if we end up getting him, uh, definitely something to look forward to the next season. Hopefully, this United some kind of an identity which they terribly, terribly seem to lack over the last two years. Even though I'm not a United fan, I stand more of a neutral. I think it's painful even for me to see United in this position at this point. You know, Happily just, painful? Uh, no, it, it, I, you know, it's surprising I say this, but uh, I think the legacy of the club, at least when I saw, dude, it was the biggest club in football at that point of time. I mean, there was nothing bigger than Manchester United and Sir Alex Ferguson. And uh, seeing them at this level, I think the club needs like a complete rebuild, you know, right from uh, the core. And I think Ten Hag will do a pretty good job because he's basically been doing that year after year in Ajax because he makes players and then they're all, they all leave. And then he basically does that again. And he's doing it sustainably. The challenge is doing it in the Premier League. Yes. Because it's a, obviously a tougher league. But nevertheless, I think it's a good option. They were obviously talks about Pochino, but I don't think that's going to work. And it'll be surprising to see where he'll go. Because uh, United, in this pursuit of, uh, so far, getting Real Pragnik, they let a lot of good managers go. Because I remember Antonio Conte was one of them who was in line. There was Pochettino and then now there's Ten Hag. So, uh, I think they have to, at this point, settle down and do uh, play the long game, you know. By the way, can I say something little unrelated but sticking to the Premier League? Yep. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I said so, but I'm not going to brag about it. Everton are in the 17th place right now. The last five games, four losses, one win. And who is coaching them? Frank Lampard. Okay. Just oh been, Dude, just this, been no, this is not. <laughs> I, I agree to everything you said. Everything except this is Frank Lampard. No. I think he has very little to do with where they are right now. Yes, they're struggling. And that's the point I put up there. Everton, if they go down, oh my God. It's going to be, I don't know. I, I just don't have words to complete it. But it's definitely not Frank Lampard. I, it is, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to say. But I hope he survives them. Because what makes you say it's not Lampard? At least he's part of the problem. He's, if not the whole problem, I, I agree he's not. He's, so he's a part of the problem. Yes, I 100% agree. He's a part of the problem. But it's the players. I mean, they had Carlo Ancelotti at one point who who is at Real Madrid who's done everything in the world of football who basically gave up on that team. Yeah. So, it is a deeper problem than the manager for sure. Well, I don't think he gave up on this team though. Real Madrid came calling when, so he's obviously... When I, say, when I say gave, like I, I say it very lightly. I, yeah, yeah. On me, uh, he, he gave up on them. But, you know, he had the resources. Everton gave him money. He tried building and he's a fantastic manager to have. I think any other club, if they had Carlo Ancelotti, they, they would have done far better than what Everton did. You know, and uh, right now they just don't they just don't seem to have, I don't know, the players uh, to really put in that, I don't know what you call the one, you know, dirty day. Just get get your hands dirty, put your body in there and you know, play the Premier League style, yeah. you know, for survival. So, I think they lack that. And I think Lampard's well aware. Uh, obviously, uh, it's going to look terrible on his resume if this does go down. But I don't think at this point he cares much about that because uh, there are bigger things to worry about. It's sad to see that a club of Everton's level is facing a relegation battle. I'm pretty sure there has to be more happening behind the scene than just 
you know, having a bad manager or a couple of bad players. Because Everton uh, is a club. 100%. They're, they're, they're the, they're the perennial middle, middle-of-the-table club. Right? You never see them go down or you never see them go up. They're always there. Yeah. It's just like, it's kind of weird to see them struggle so much. So, 29 games, 25 points. They're just one point behind Burnley. Oh, sorry, one point ahead of Burnley uh, in the 18th position. So, they are in dire straits with, what, nine games to go. So, they need to pick something up and get some good results. So, if I look at their team, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who was, who was one of the leading goal scorers, not what, last season or a couple of seasons ago. The Charles is really good. The Brazilian, they have uh, the England goalkeeper, Jordan Pickford. They have all these. The Corey is pretty good. Holgate is pretty good. Mari Gray is there. Yeah, all of these are really good players. Good quality players. You don't, they're not exactly bums. So, I don't know if it has to do with chemistry, if it has to do with, of course, it is a, when it comes to things like this, it is a combination of a lot of different factors. So, Everton is playing Man United next, which doesn't give you a lot of confidence either way. But you see, Everton has Leicester playing. They have a really tough uh, set of games coming up. So, they're playing United. They're playing, let's see who else. They're playing Liverpool. They have Chelsea coming up. They have Leicester again coming up. So, uh, it's going to be a little uh, oh, it's very, going to very be, close race to the finish. It's going to be brutal for Everton. Man, the more I see their fixtures, the more I feel they're bound for relegation. I'm I'm sorry to say I that. Know, I but know. It's, it's, it's going to be rough. You're be playing, tough, so. Okay, let me repeat exactly what you said. Manchester United. After that, you're playing Liverpool at Anfield. Then you play Leicester City. Then they play Brentford, who just beat Chelsea 4-1. I mean, they're a pretty yeah. team. I'm not saying that they beat Chelsea, so they're tough. And then Arsenal. Oh, wow. That yeah. is tough. Yeah. Okay. So, not, not the best of situations for Robert or Frank Lampard. So, if, if obviously, if, if they get relegated, it's going to be cleaning the house or... And at, obviously, at the the manager if, obviously, if they if he saves Everton, you'll be like, Lampard's the best. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not... As I said, I'm still... Uh, Lampard, the coach, le- leaves me wanting more from him. Uh, Lampard, the player, not so much. But the coach, uh, not a big fan. But, as I said... Yeah, we'll, we'll continue our discussion and debate as we keep moving forward. I think it's pretty much gone for Everton goes. Okay, so uh, let's move on. Let's move on to Formula One. Brand new season, brand new dawn for Formula One. It's the Bahrain Grand Prix. And it's lights out and away we go. Brilliant. Perez does get away well. Comes over to cover off Leclerc. Carlos Sainz is forced to the outside. Max Verstappen getting keen on the inside with Carlos Sainz. But Perez leads him through the first corner. From Leclerc, Verstappen getting past Carlos Sainz. Hamilton ahead through of the pass. Starting Williams it into the lead. And Hamilton has got half a car length. Now a whole car length. Ahead of Sergio Perez. And now he's been challenged as Perez by Kevin. And let's talk about... I'll let you take the lead on this. Let's talk about the resurgent... Ferrari. Absolutely. So, resurgent in the sense that uh, the red car, because uh, they're a team I support, have been supporting. I've spoken so much about Charles Leclerc. Like, like they have a brilliant driver's lineup. So, let's break them down. Yeah. They have two young drivers, uh, Carlos Sanz and Charles Leclerc. Their car is pretty decent this time. And then Formula 1 regulations have changed. So, racing is much more tighter. And you will see that throughout this. I think you've already seen that in the first two races of the season mm-hmm. where Haas is now picking up points yeah. and they were basically struggling to uh, even finish races last year. So, so racing remind, is... remind me what, what changed Anikhil, with, with regards to regulations this year from this season. So one thing is uh, the design of the car has been overhauled and the whole purpose of uh, the overhaul was to so that the cars can follow more closely 
previously what happens is uh, due to aerodynamics you have something you have turbulence so when you're uh, following a car very closely it becomes very difficult to overtake because of the turbulent air so they have tweaked the designs the aerodynamics of the car to enable this uh, enable when i say this i mean enable closer racing then uh, the drs uh, system which is there is now uh, i guess more effective and you can see charles leclerc and uh, i would recommend the listeners to go and watch the race between charles and max in the first two uh, grand prix yeah just some crazy racing between uh, both of them and charles leclerc what a guy he'll be a world champion someday someday but such an intelligent driver he did some brilliant racing so keeping all these factors in mind that uh, it's going to be a fantastic season sunday is going to be the australian grand prix so we are again talking uh, ahead of schedule so we can't make predictions but it'll be an interesting race because the circuit first time uh, it, it's always been the first uh, grand prix of the year so far for a long time at least long time i remember yes and now the now the tarmac has been changed so the tar has been relayed the circuit the australian grand prix circuit has been the design has been changed so it's now a faster and a wider circuit so basically there's a, there are a couple of turns uh, i don't know the numbers i don't want to get them wrong but uh, there are a couple of turns and chicanes that have been made wider and more flat out so there's more drs zones drs stands for drag reduction system so whenever you enable this and you can enable this when you're one second behind a car so uh, and when you do that you get like a i think 15 kilometers per hour roughly uh push so you can get faster so it's expected to be a fun race it will be new because a lot of drivers have not experienced this new track it will be exciting so it's going to be an exciting race and uh ferrari have so far i mean it's only two races they've done okay uh but this particular track favors red bull because there are more straight line uh what do you call there's more drs zones and straight lines in the new circuit so it's going to favor red bull so it'll be interesting to see what happens so the Australian Grand Prix as you said yeah we, we, again it's going to be quite outdated once this episode comes out so but tell me is is the new design what it is mercedes uh, are off to a bit of a shaky start talk to me about mercedes is it the design is it just new season well, i don't think it's a strategy that's going wrong i think it has to do with the car right absolutely i mean uh, it turns out that the seven times in a row world champions and this did happen last year too uh but this uh that last year also in the starting if you remember they did not have the best of the cars but they slowly as the races progress they get better and better but this year their cars design has just been very off so uh they have not been able to put a good car together and it is because of various reasons i mean i think that is the beauty of the sport and that's why i like it it is the uh, intersection of engineering and uh, high performance Uh, that's all i would say high performance and uh, engineering both uh, in there and yeah they're not doing i mean they're not doing pretty well it's too early to call anything so far but they are struggling lewis hamilton they finished 10th last race so he seems a little frustrated which is uh, rare but you know we'll see yeah hamilton was lucky to finish uh, i think on the podium did he finish on the podium yeah i think he did finish on the in podium the first, in the first race, race. and he then did. just got among the points in the second race uh, charles leclerc 45 points in two races carlos sainz his teammate right behind him in second very early days in the formula 1 uh, calendar but yeah i mean getting new teams on there new teams getting up uh, something other than mercedes and red bull is always great to see which means that 
the race is going to get only tighter because, as you said, teams figure things out, especially the really good teams. So Mercedes, I'm sure, they will figure things out now that they've had a couple of weeks break here. I'm sure the same goes with the Red Bull team as well. So we'll see. Um, I'm sure we are hopefully off to a really another really tight season, not just between two teams, but more than two teams. Oh, for sure, it's going to be more than two teams. And one thing that's known for sure, at least now, is in every sport, but especially in this sport, data is your best friend, right? So the more races that happen, yes, the more you learn about your car and uh, the other things. So you ex- you will expect top teams to uh, come back and you know show why they are top teams. That being said, you also have teams like Haas who are like doing pretty well now. And uh, I think Gunter Steiner, who is a chief principal, uh, yeah, the awesome guy <laughs> we've all seen in Drive to Survive, uh, spoke about how they expect to score points at least till mid season, right? Because uh, the prediction is till mid season because they expect the top teams then we come into their uh, zone and budgets and all start playing a role. But so far, they're very happy with how they're doing. And uh, I just recommend people to go and watch because uh, one really good uh, example was, I think, Alpine. Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso's teammates were racing like crazy in the last uh, mm-hmm. uh, particular race. So it's fun. If you enjoy racing, I think this new car design is working well. We'll see how it goes. It's too, like I said, it's too early to call anything. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I, I love that there are more teams in the that are just in the middle here. So that's awesome. Yeah, and one thing I think we didn't speak about, but uh, uh, Kevin Magnussen is back to Haas. So he's replaced uh, Nikita Mazepin, who was the previous Haas driver. And he was uh, son of an oligarch. And I think this whole Russian invasion, fortunately or unfortunately, took his seat away. So yeah, that's just an update. Yeah, I have a recommendation uh, on that uh, later on as people who have recommendations. Yep. Anything else you want to talk about the Formula 1, Anikhil? This is it. I don't want to say more. I want to talk a lot, but I don't want to say anything more before a race. So let's see how it turns out. Indeed. Okay. So uh, I think with that, we are probably at the end of the podcast. Anikhil, if you want to share anything else before we plug uh, some articles and some recommendations, uh, anything else that you'd like to talk about the world of sports in general? Yeah, I just realized that uh, Formula 1 was a pretty nice sport. I saw a couple of MotoGP races. Okay. And I was really sitting and wondering, why do these guys do this? <laughs> it is so dangerous. It is just insane. I mean, I don't some know. Some of those maybe crashes and some of those people falling, they just fly off, man. Serious. And I, I saw a video of this guy fall off. He just slid through the tarmac and then... He basically gets up, goes, runs to get another bike and just goes. Yeah. So, I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old, but boy, that's dangerous, man. I mean, like, when I see Formula 1, I used to wonder it's dangerous, but these guys are protected by, like, a proper car. There's just so much yeah. engineering and design put in, but MotoGP is just another, uh, a lot of respect. Yeah. To, yeah. To, to, do it, to do it day in and day out to such extreme levels is, for me, it's hard to comprehend. Yeah. Yep. What what is the most extreme thing you've ever done, Anikit? Dude, let's not go there. <laughs> I don't know. How do, define, how do you define what the most extreme thing is? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what the most extreme thing I did. Okay. I, I went skydiving. I did a skydive for 14,000 feet. I had somebody on my back, but I did jump off a plane. And that was the most extreme I could get. And I only did it once. I'm not going to do it again. Okay. Oh, so no, that's, on my, that's on my bucket list. Skydiving is on my bucket list. Right. So I'm saying I just only did it once. I'm not going to do it again. But to see some of these guys go day in and day out playing, racing these bikes like that, it's 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 kind of surreal for me. Yeah, no, for sure. But with that, I'd like to 
plug in an important thing and tell the listeners to pay to keep news free, support independent media, because uh, media is the fourth pillar of democracy. And uh, yeah, if you pay, you're served. So subscribe to News Laundry. Yes, 100%. Go to newslaundry.com. By the way, we have a News Laundry app. I've, uh, I use an iPhone, so I've downloaded that. The app seems to be working well. Uh, so you can catch this podcast and a bunch of other podcasts. We have Hatta, Chacha, Awful and Awesome, uh, Reporters Without Orders. I'm sure I'm missing a few things here and there, but do check the app out as well. Also, just hit that subscribe button by going to newsonery.com and hit the subscribe button. There are a number of options. You can uh, subscribe to News Laundry. It's, it's, the subscription itself is very cheap and the content that you get is really good. So please, if, you are, if you're looking for some ground reports, some satire, some good podcasting, please go there to newsonery.com and hit that subscribe button. Thanks to uh, producer Lippy as well uh, for coming on. This is the first time we've had her on. So it's great to be working with her too. So thanks to producer Lippy for producing this podcast as well. Anika, let's move on to some recommendations. Yeah, before recommendations, I want to say one more thing. So we come here and cover a lot of current affairs and sports and go back to events, but that's not the only purpose of this podcast. So we do want to talk to people in the sporting ecosystem who are working in different avenues of sports. So if you have anything interesting to share with us, me and Gautam would love to learn. So we'd love to have you on the podcast. So write to us in the podcast letters. Yes. So yeah, uh, I think it's podcast forward slash letters. We'll uh, link those. Yeah, we'll link those in the description below. But yeah, do write to us because we'd like to learn more about different sports uh, and how the whole sporting ecosystem in general works in India. And that's the whole point of this podcast to start a conversation on that front. So write to us and give us any feedback. Awesome. Okay, so let I'll begin with some recommendations then. Um, the first uh, recommendation I have is uh, a podcast called BBC Hard Talk. Uh, it's a really good podcast that covers a lot of things. BBC Hard Talk, hosted by Stephen Sacker. He in the most recent episode, he's interviewed uh, Nikita Mazepin, and he's kind of asked him pretty much all kinds of questions that he had to ask. He's talking about his ties to the, his father's ties to Putin. His father trying to issue threats to the Haas team. If you saw Drive to Survive, there's a whole episode dedicated to Team Haas and how uh, his dad is trying to issue a threat, essentially saying that if you don't give his son what he wants, he's going to pull out the money he has invested and so on. So he was also asked him straightforward to his face if he condemns Putin with his actions. So it's it. Mazepin tried to put up a strong face, but I think he came across as somebody trying to save face, but not really able to. So catch that BBC hard talk with Nikita Mazepin out. Uh, another article, and I shared this with you as well a uh, couple of weeks ago, and it is from one of my favorite writers. Um, his name is Ethan Strauss. His article's title is Pity the Zoomer Athlete, where he talks about how there's been a lot of cases in the last few years about athletes pulling out, citing mental health issues, especially we, we spoke a lot about Naomi Osaka, but there's a number of other other people who have pulled out citing mental health issues as well. And how he talks about uh, there is this glorifying the modern athlete when he or she comes out and says he's, he, that they are pulling out citing mental health issues or calling people out or calling the crowd out saying that uh, more or less a lot of it is affecting their mental health. So he does not take away the mental health issues. He's curious about it, but at the same time also says there is this 
there is this urge among everybody to glorify the athlete who is fighting mental health issues. So it's a really good piece, really well-balanced piece. It is it is on Substack, but I think this is a free article that he had. So check that out. Yeah, actually, I like. I thought it's an interesting article. There, like I said, he doesn't trivialize, like you said, doesn't trivialize the mental health issue, but he does put up fair points. You might not agree with everything he says, but it is very well written and a very interesting article. So thank you, Gautam, for sharing that last time. So uh, my recommendations are, uh, sorry, before I go into recommendation, I did say that maybe we should review Drive for Survive because I want to again register uh, displeasure yeah. of the latest season, but we'll keep it for another episode. So, yeah, that's probably good. Let's do this. Yeah. Did you watch uh, Did you watch uh, 83, Monique? No, I have not seen 83. Okay, let's, let's have an episode on. reviewing Drive to Survive and 83 both together. I think that would be good. That sounds good. like a plan. All right. So my recommendations are, uh, it's in a series, it's called When Eagles Dare, and it's about Crystal Palace, the football club, and I found it pretty amazing. Just from a third person's view, learning about the history of Crystal Palace, how about in, I think, 2010 or 2009, they went close to liquidation. Basically, their assets were frozen, and uh, there was no one pitching in to buy that club. Fans came together and uh, basically decided we will not let this club go down. And they uh, invested, obviously, there were some notion of rich fans. So they invested money in that. And uh, in 2013, it's about the journey to making it to the Premier League. So three years later on, they made it to the Premier League. And I think they've done a very good job of uh, capturing what that journey was about. And it's very interesting because I learned so much about the club, about the history of it. So that's one recommendation I'd say. It's on Amazon Prime Videos. And the other one is a mind-blowing movie that I have seen. It's called The Alpinist. And it's about Marc-Andre Leclerc, who is an alpinist. Basically, he climbs mountains. And what he does is called free soloing, where uh, he basically climbs without any form of ropes right so there is no safety he and it's called and there's a movie of alex honnold called free soloing where alex honnold free solos on the l capitan if you've not seen it guys please go and watch it it's just insane and the alpinist makes that endeavor which i thought was the most endearing athletic uh, endeavor in the 20th century uh, mark andre leclerc makes that look like a joke so this dude is climbing up glaciers and all sorts of terrains without a rope and he just does it uh i don't know man people like this are made out of something else and uh, it is just such a fascinating watch the climbing scenes in this movie are just insane they just basically plug a gopro on him and you are just hanging on to your seat praying he does not fall off it is just insane and it is pinnacle of athleticism if you ask me so go and watch that i'm i know i'm sound like a fanboy but it's just insane Awesome. Well, I'm going to definitely add that to my watch list now. The Alpinist, go check this out, guys. Okay. With that, I think we've come to the end of this show. Uh, Aniket, another uh, round in the books. 18 of these so far. So, not, not bad. So, we should like go. I, yeah, go ahead. Like I keep saying, who's counting? But yeah, it's who's counting? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks for Thank you, Aniket. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you have a good week. Until next time. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform.
Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.